welcome to the I Am A Health Visitor podcast. Um, I am Amy. And I am Jenny. Today we're going to be doing a podcast on a really interesting article which we've both read in the Community Practitioner, the CPHVA journal, um, which a lot of you probably have seen, maybe yeah. some people have seen already. I think, I think sometimes even if people aren't um, CPHVA members, I'm, I'm sure they... The journals get shared and yeah. often play, often copies knocking around various yeah, offices and things. So this one is lost in translation, this article is, and it's about um, using children as interpreters. Um, and we thought kind of brought up a really interesting topic to talk about on the podcast, to kind of yeah. talk about how we use interpreters, maybe some experiences that we've had of using interpreters, as well as looking at the issue of children as interpreters and obviously there's a few kind of issues that we know that it's not good yeah, practice no, really. No, but that actually even uh, families will often just expect mm. to be uh, us to be okay with children being used as interpreters. I mean yeah. in, in my A&E days yeah. um, it would often be the case where you would have a a child and possibly even as young as kind of you know prim- young primary age years yeah, or yeah. five six years old yeah um <laughs> being expected by the parents to translate for them and get information over um which, and often the kids themselves can seem quite keen to do it can't they yeah you know, oh definitely which definitely does make it a little bit difficult but then it is that tricky thing where there would often be words or phrases and they would just think my god yeah i know what that means but i you know, wouldn't even have an idea of how to translate it into their own language because it was using language and phrases that they they wouldn't be using on day-to-day mm. basis themselves mm. and obviously there's the issue of not wanting you know, parents to have to talk about private or confidential or maybe things they wouldn't necessarily share with the children, yeah. um, you know, that they might want to share with a health professional, mm-hmm. but they're then limited if they're using the children as an interpreter. Yeah. There's also been the thing I've seen before in families, um, particularly where a, a mother or wife doesn't speak English, of having um, a husband or an uncle translating mm. and it being very obvious that they're they're not passing on information no, and things. And it would very much frustrate me sometimes when I was trying to, to offer reassurance or advice mm. or trying to find things out that would make life a lot easier to you mm. know, to be able to manage their care and pain and things. And you would say something to them and say, right, yeah, can you say that to them? And being, yeah, they would almost laugh sometimes. Go, oh no, we don't need to say that. It's like, well, you you do because I'm asking and things. And so there is that thing of yeah, if you have an independent person, they do have to do, have to translate translate what what you're you're saying and things. Yeah, there's no kind of obligation on a family member to translate what you're saying in any way, is there? So, because it was it was quite interesting looking statistics in the article. Um, that they say there's yeah 4.2 million people in the UK whose main language is not English. Yeah. Which I must say, at times it does feel like it's higher than that. But yeah. then I suppose that's what comes from working in, in exactly. a busy city. Yeah. I think we're both London-based, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and I think that definitely has an impact on 
on your use of interpreters and, and your experiences with interpreters. I think, for example, the area I've moved trust from a very inner London trust to a more on the outskirts of London trust. And I found I was using interpreters when I was in the inner London trust. I was using the interpreters probably for at least half the visits, I think, mm. really. Um, where now I'm using them much less frequently. Yeah. I'm still probably using an interpreter, I'd say, maybe three times a month, something like that. Oh, wow. Um, so still frequently. Yeah. But much less, you know, when I was in central London, I was yeah. using them daily, you know, wow. every visit. And would much. that always be someone in person? Yes, yeah. So it's wow. a big cost as well yeah, to trust, yeah. which is something to bear in mind. Um, and it does talk about that in here. And it also kind of talks about... Um, actually that even professional interpreters there can be some problems with them so yeah. obviously we know that we shouldn't use children for some of the reasons we've talked about and also you know you don't, not wanting to put undue pressure on the child or you know turn it into a bit of a um, embarrassment <laughs> yeah embarrassment and also yeah. a bit of a kind of issue with them being expected to do things maybe a lot of pressure on them um, yeah, it's quite like interesting that. how they look at it becoming quite a stressor with yeah. even psychological, quite severe psychological consequences on the child yeah, as well. Yeah, yes, I know. And, and there was something in the article, actually, that I hadn't really thought about, a couple of things I hadn't really thought about, one of which was the actual stress on a child of if they're interpreting for a health appointment and then the health of their parent declines, that mm. they might actually internalise that and feel in some way responsible for yeah. the decline in their health, which actually is a really good point, but I hadn't thought about no. in, in particular. There's also the risk of them actually being kept off school to yeah, interpret. Yeah, or missing important things in their life, like mm-hmm. you know, clubs or activities, because they have yeah. to interpret for mum. Um, the other thing I hadn't really thought about that I thought was really interesting is if you're using a child as an interpreter, the fact that that kind of reverses the power dynamic in the family. Yes. Yeah. You know, you, you've got a child who, you know, should be really the mum is in charge, um, but if the six-year-old or the eight-year-old or the ten-year-old yeah. is interpreting for the mum, they then become in quite a powerful control yeah, position no, actually in the family home definitely. and that can cause quite significant changes in the dynamics yeah and that's something I hadn't thought about either so there's a few things that kind of came up from it yeah mm. I mean I definitely think it rings true that is quite an interesting um sort of box about using an interpreter professional ones. and to look at yeah mm. and to look at the whole sort of the the briefing them before the consultation and debriefing afterwards I mean I, yeah. I don't know about you, but it's very rare yeah. that I have chance to do that with an interpreter. So yeah. many times, either they arrive before before I do, or I arrive before they do. Definitely. Um, and you know, in terms of briefing and debriefing, I think the practicalities of that you can't brief and debrief in the street outside the home, can you? Because no. you've got issues of confidentiality. Yeah. So then, are we expected to make an appointment with the interpreter prior to yeah. the appointment? I mean. Practically, this is very, getting very difficult, yeah. really. It's quite interesting. It talks about the positioning of yourself, yeah, make, making sure you're still facing your client. Yes, yeah. Because actually there is that important thing of you, you need to still be having that eye contact, that non-verbal yeah, communication yeah. with them. Um, it is really important. And that if you are aiming things 
to the translator instead yeah or to the interpreter yeah then it's kind of it's changing that dynamic again and making making the person who you're there for actually feeling a bit like the third wheel yeah (laughs) yeah which is obviously not the intention one thing I found really interesting was this kind of quite an old study actually that it talks about Flores et al 2003 they'd done a study of interpreters and they sort of been trying to see whether the interpreter was actually translating exactly what the health professional had said Ah, and what the errors were and where the errors were and they found some really interesting things actually that I was really surprised by so the examples they've given obviously omitting important things so omitting questions about drug allergies omitting instructions on you know how to give particular medications and um, information but also some things that I was quite surprised by they'd added information to what the health professional had said so the hydrocortisone cream that they were talking about how to apply it the interpreter had added on that that's supposed to be applied to the entire body yeah. rather than just her facial rash and then yeah. the really shocking one instructing mm. a mother not to answer personal questions <sighs> so the yeah. interpreter's adding on yeah. an instruction their to own, the mum their, their, own, own, their own lay beliefs um, I, I think yeah well we, we were saying earlier we had our own experience I must oh, I think goodness. the one that springs to mind with me is using an interpreter for with the family for removal in visit mm. and the father of the family was there as well and he had good English mm. um, a good understanding mm. um, it was more so that yeah for the mum's voice to mm. be to be heard but it was a male interpreter okay and between the two of them, it's a removal in visits, so you have to go through all the ins and outs for medical history and things. And obviously, there's the um, promoting mums to have um, smear tests and things. And so, between them, the father and the interpreter, the interpreter tried to mansplain um, oh what a smear <laughs> test was. Oh my goodness! <laughs> getting it very, very wrong. <laughs> And, and I, I was just like, it was my first experience of oh, actually it being so blatant that an interpreter was <laughs> was taking a very small thing that I was saying and running with it and turning it into something very different. Yeah, oh dear. And yeah, you know, kind of he he always like said, oh don't worry, I'll explain what the smear test is. <laughs> um, and and I can't even remember what he was saying, but it was just so wrong oh, and so way off track, and I was quite shocked oh, and it was in fact it was in my one of my my first weeks in the job the team leader was meant to be doing the visit with me and she'd got tied up with something else and so when she got, got that I was slightly shell-shocked and was ha- yeah, I had Thrown to explain off. afterwards like what had happened and things oh, um but yeah the oh Christ it is just that that thing of they're yeah, not the professionals no. aren't perfect either so yeah completely definitely. I once had a situation where I had to explain using a telephone interpreter because this is a visit I turned up to not knowing I would need an interpreter, yeah, which yeah. is that other classic oh, that we yes. often come across yeah. um, and had to do a breastfeeding assessment using a telephone interpreter who was also a man um, <laughs> and honestly just was completely impossible yeah I mean I think the one good thing now because the thing I feel I really miss out on when I've used telephone interpreters on a, a regular telephone, yeah, has been a not being able to hear 
the tone of how they're saying mm. i'm rubbish with languages i don't mm. I, I speak english just about mm. you know i got an e in french and my knowledge in french has depleted further even <laughs> since then and that was my like heady peak of languages um but i i i get so much from recognizing the tone yeah the f- odd few words yeah. you know la- latin has you a lot to blame for you get a sense saying. of what they're saying yeah. and so i think the one benefit of us using telephone interpreters with our phone with our mobiles these days is that at least we can have the speakerphone option yeah that's true <laughs> and just sort of having that real feel that you're getting that that it's... communication and because also i think at least with speakerphone you're then getting that eye to eye contact mm. that non-verbal communication with the parent more or else with telephone interpreters it can sometimes really feel quite laborious i had to do a whole developmental review with a family once um with a telephone interpreter and it was oh painful (laughs) and yeah you get the same slot time slot even though you're obviously saying everything twice yeah so i mean the other thing that that i've come across and that came across in this article that i thought was really interesting i don't know whether you've come across this before is that people sometimes feel there's an issue with confidentiality with interpreters. And I've definitely had that. I've had visits where I've offered an interpreter and they've turned it down because they've said, actually, you know, we have a very small Tamil community and I know most of the people who speak Tamil around this area. And I would feel uncomfortable having an interpreter in case it's someone actually know personally. Which is completely fair, completely fair. I think it's worth thinking about that. Well, it's like for myself, I've got a a case where they are of of a group which is not typical in that area. There's a much bigger group in another area. And there are worries with if if the group in this area could be relating to a, a, a further group that she's yeah. trying to avoid. Okay. And it gets really complicated because yeah, it is definitely. that worry. I think I definitely had knots in my stomach the first time we got an interpreter. I was so relieved that they didn't know each other yeah. <laughs> and things. And that she actually, hard, the client yeah. felt very comfortable with her. Yeah. And the interpreter was actually amazing and was like, oh. look, you know, make sure you've got my name. If we need oh. an interpreter again, you can request me by name and things. Yes. I've, have you ever done that? Uh, what requested had by the name. same interpreter for the second and third like for follow-up yeah I not not by my own doing okay. I have had it where I had an interpreter once for family and they they met and I, I thought they were just sort of being customarily lovely to each other because there were hugs and kisses on both cheeks but it actually turned but out, actually it turned out that she had the interpreter had been interpreter for mum at her first scan and so the interpreter was just like oh you've had the baby and it's all going well and oh and was just so chuffed to see them which was really lovely and the mum again it felt comfortable it was someone she she'd seen before she felt Mm. had had a good relationship and bond Mm. growing that first meeting Mm. and things that was really useful I think it's absolutely I would really recommend that especially if I mean, to be honest, I'd recommend it for any any visit, even a universal contact that, you know, you're not expecting to be talking about anything sensitive. It's still useful to have the same interpreter yeah. because you do build trust and rapport. It's like relational things with any any industry, isn't it? But yeah. especially if you're going to be talking about something yeah. sensitive. So it is so, so difficult. I mean, the interpreter, they're all freelance. Yes, yeah. And that is so tricky and particularly the way that sort of groups do get 
particularly located in parts of London, then if you're not in that part of London, oh, yeah. it can be so tricky because it ends up not being, you know, for, a, for an hour-long contact yeah. for the interpreter, they can end up spending sort of two hours, Trouble. two and a half hours getting there and yeah, back. Yeah, definitely. It has so, to be local. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've had good experiences with, we had a, um, I had a, a client who t- had trafficking, she'd been trafficked. Um, and some really very kind of sensitive and personal stuff we were talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'd booked an interpreter and I'd requested a female interpreter because I knew that we were going to be talking about some quite sensitive yeah. issues. And um, she was absolutely fantastic. She really was, you know, Brilliant. really, really wonderful at making the client feel at ease. She translated exactly what I was saying. She translated what the mum was saying back. I really felt like it was an excellent interaction. And then, on her part, I mean. Yeah. (laughs) And then um, I booked her again for the subsequent follow-up visit. And I actually thought that was really quite important to have that continuity, especially when you're talking about something sensitive like that. But then, on the other hand, I have also had an interpreter fall asleep (gasps) in a contact once before. Oh, my word. Well, I'm sure um, for you guys listening, <laughs> I would hope that you've possibly Had got... more positive po- stories. Positive stories <laughs> and, and possibly some that match our uh, our stories as well. So yeah. do, do get in touch if you have any. We could yeah, share them in, a, your, uh, in the next few podcasts. It would be really good to hear from you guys. Um, and also, obviously, if there are any articles you've seen that you think we should have a look at and uh, share more widely, uh, we'd love to hear from you. In Get the meantime, that's all for now. So until next time, it's goodbye from Jenny. <laughs> and it's goodbye from Amy. <laughs> <laughs> we just take different comedy riffs every time. Yeah, we did the start of just a minute. We did the end of the two Ronnies. It's perfect. <laughs> bye, everyone. Oh, bye. Sorry, I thought we'd finished. <laughs>